I'll start off by saying I'm bored, I'm broke, and I'm back. <laughs> We're back on a Thursday. This is the Cult of Cult podcast from Hogshaven. You got Brian Stabby and you've got my buddy Gumby. Gumby, how you doing on this? Doing good, man. It's how Thursday. you doing? This Thursday. Doing, it's Thursday. It, it's Thursday. I almost said Friday. Mentally, I'm there already. Like I'm at Friday. I'm though, jealous of that. Yeah, we'll get you there. You get, you, you, one more sleep. One more sleep till Friday. Um, so Gumby, usually we do a good amount of. Uh, easing into the podcast as means of sort of like mentally preparing ourselves i think um no there's no time to waste we have a fantastic guest who's not your brother joining us this evening um i'm gonna let you take it from there well well i've known her almost as long as i've known my brother which is also crazy so just thinking about that is insane so actually one of the nicest people i know in the entire world both personally and professionally this is one of those people who, as you talk to them, you realize just how wonderful they are and how much they are willing to fight for what is right in the world. But not not just what we're going to talk about today, but also in everything that she does. She is absolutely an amazing human being that you everyone needs to get to know. Um, mm-hmm. She's a little controversial now, which is you know kind of crazy, but I've known her since elementary school, which I'm not going to tell anybody how long ago that was. But I'd like to introduce uh, my friend, Melanie. We have um, Melanie Coburn here with us. Hi, fellas. Thanks for having me. Uh, all are, our, all are, our happiness. Very excited very to have you. Gumby. Thank you, Gumby. I'm, I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all true. That's, that's the best part. <laughs> oh. so, so you all go, go way back. Um, Melanie, do you have any f- embarrassing stories about Gumby? We're all about... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He he was quite a character. He was very active in the Powderpuff football games, and we had all kinds of like, you know, that kind of crazy stuff. But I was very much all into my cheerleading and my boyfriend back in the days. So I I feel like that's all I did back then. <laughs> yeah. And it's I was on the football team. I just wasn't any good. Zero good. Like I I definitely was in the bench hanging out drinking water. But you know what? You we had a good boyfriend. time. That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't gonna yeah. say anything. I mean, we shared water. It's okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So I, obviously, I've had football in my veins since a very young age because we were we were the football school there at Seneca Valley, and um, I then went to Penn State, which was also a very big football school. So, and I've been rooting for the Washington football team my entire life. And grew up with a dream to be a Redskins cheerleader. Back then, they were Redskinettes. Yeah. So, so, so give uh, give our wonderful listening audience. Um, I mean, part of this feels like you need no introduction, but give the give our listeners a little bit of of your background in the non Gumby category, and sort of your um, your affiliation, previous affiliation with the Washington Football Team organization. Sure. So I auditioned for the Washington Redskins, Redskinettes at the time when I was 19 years old in college. And I cheered from 1999 to, or excuse me, 1997 to 2001. Um, and then in 2001, they actually, I don't know if you remember something called the collective bargaining agreement, but at that time they realized that not every team in the league had cheerleaders. So 
they were thinking, hmm, how can we get the cheerleaders to make money? Because we don't have to share that revenue. So they actually hired me full-time as a marketing coordinator to try to increase revenue from the cheerleader side. So I came on board, I sold sponsorships, booked events, and um, grew the revenue that way. And I was there for 10 years in that position. I got a promotion in 2008 to marketing director. And um, yeah, I was there for 14 years of my life. 10 of which was full-time as an employee. Wow. It's a lot of time uh, in what Ashburn, I, I assume is where you're going. No, to. we were actually at FedEx field. Wow. So I was in Landover. Yeah. Was, you know, Sorry about that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was, it was Landover, <laughs> but it also, it kind of had, I had a protection from, you know, senior level management. So I kind of, I tell everybody I lived on my own little Island and they kept the cheerleaders very far away from the football players. There was no fraternization policy. So we were sort of our, our studio was what was, was the owner's parking on game day. So we Mm. were literally like our offices were in a parking lot. Um, But it also gave us sort of freedom to be and, and, you know, avoid a lot of the drama that some of my colleagues really in the trenches went through. So, yeah, I, I had my own set of, um, difficult situations that I was in with the upper level management, but for the most part, I wasn't there on a day-to-day basis at Redskins Park. So that was a good thing. Very good thing. Yeah. So, you know, fast forward to 2021 and you're sort of, after all of those years with the team, your your feelings have obviously sort of changed um, to the point where you've now been a very vocal um, detractor of the team and its organ, the organization and the policies and the things that now, uh, with sort of stones overturned, um, were were going on and were going on for a long time. Um, I, I guess, can you talk a little bit about sort of your your advocacy, sort of your work in response to either the action or inaction of the team in the league in response to sort of the Washington Post reporting from earlier this year and the cultural failings of the team and like what were the things that have most most motivated you about um, sort of this whole thing? How has that gone and how have your efforts kind of been received? Yeah, a lot of people ask me this question, you know, why didn't you come forward sooner? Why didn't you say something back then? And to be perfectly honest, when it was me and things happening to me, um, I just took it. It was sort of what we were used to. Sadly, it's just the business and, and the culture that they uh, cultivated there. And when I left, I left in 2011 and I started a business and I had a family and, um, you know, when I got out in the real world and met business owners and, and people who have incredible companies and treat their staff with respect and I saw what was possible, it was shocking to me. And the more time went by, I realized, wow, that was really bad what happened hmm. and what went on there. Um, but honestly, you know, I could have, I could have gone on living and just been fine with it. I wasn't rooting for the team. I, I, I lost a lot of passion, you know, Snyder and the entire experience I had there took that passion from me, unfortunately, but I will tell you the main thing that set everything off and, and put the fire in my belly to really stand up for this cause is when those videos came out. So those lewd videos that were, uh, when an anonymous source came forward to the post and those articles broke in the post last summer, Um, Megan Imbert, who you've probably heard and seen, she's amazing. She came forward. She saw something and questioned it, never really 
knew it wasn't her working on the project, but she saw something and it was in the back of her mind. And when this story broke last July, she reached out to a couple of people that were on the team and was like, I just remember something bad happened, but I don't, you know, it wasn't my project. And, and somebody, an anonymous source came forward and provided videos and said, you're right. There's a lot of bad stuff that was happening there. Mm -hmm. And, and apparently the videos were, uh, requested by ownership to be made and Larry Michael made them and ordered them made. And they took all of the extra raw footage from our calendar shoots. And what most people don't realize is they're like, well, why were the girls topless? Why were they in body paint? And that's what ownership asked us to do. They wanted us to push the envelope. They asked for these racy shots. They wanted to just make it as sexy as possible. And so we didn't force girls to do these photo shoots. They volunteered. We said, if you want to do it, you can do it. You don't have to do it. Um, but they did. And they, they knew that they would most likely get a month or they would have, you know, a feature shot in the calendar if they did this. And so that's sort of how it went on for many years. We honestly only know of two videos, but um, unfortunately, I think there's more. And, and during that time frame, places like Sports Illustrated and, and uh, other magazines were doing exactly those type of of exposés when it came to, to women. So it's not like that's different than the culture that was already there. What, right. One of the things that people are confused about with those videos, how much of those videos were actually, were the girls aware that the camera was there? Not aware the camera was still running. So the way that they saw the videos, because they saw the videos. I did not see the videos. I did not want to see the videos. They apparently said there was a lot of zooming in in appropriate spots. They shouldn't have been still rolling. These girls are in, you know, necklaces and feathers and body paint and things that shouldn't be caught on video. They're meant for a photograph, a still photograph from a professional photographer. And, you know, we thought we were safe. These were Redskins employees. These were production people from our team. So we thought we had a closed set. Meanwhile, come to find out, I don't know who the videographers are. I think I know a few of them. I don't know exactly whose camera shot what angle, but I know that there was angles that were very inappropriate. The girls saw it. When they saw it, they knew it was not, it was, it was an order. It was made intentionally. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that. I've, tr I've tried to kind of talk about it because they were like, well, you know, why are they topless? Why are they this? And I'm like, it's so much more you guys don't understand. I mean, they, they, um, they didn't know that they were being videotaped. They did. They were just sometimes just in the middle of changing between takes, between yes, photographs. Yes. They were made just to have photographs. So overall, they, what they were doing with their job was not intending for this to happen. So right. that's why they were in these scantily clad stuff. And that's not fair to them to point at them and say, why did you do that? That, that was part of the job, um, meaning the pictures, not the videos. Right. And then right. with the videos, that, were, the main reason they were down there is they used all of our content. So they would videotape the girls after the shoot, interview them. How did they feel? Blah, blah, blah. And it was all meant to make these shows called Beauties on the Beach, which was like the calendar show that, you know, the local stations would run and they would use it in the content all the time, you know, during yep. the game day, you know, go buy your calendar at the gift shop. Um, even on, you know, some of the Redskins programming, they would have different features and use this content. It's great content. There's beautiful, strong women, of course. And yeah. they, they would know, sell them in the are... stadium. They would sell them right there in the stadium right. like they would beer. Like you'd walk by and like yeah. get a calendar. It's like 12 bucks. You're like, okay. So yeah. to, to put wow. a finer to put a finer point on it for our listeners, and you said that sort of there was a, a voluntary element of sort of doing the shoot, but for, for folks who, who may not know, 
Can you talk a little bit about sort of how the cheerleading squad is run, either like in conjunction with or separate from the rest of the organization? And so like what were the types of things that fit the job description that were sort of required to be on the squad? And what were, I guess, the things, this is this being an obvious case, that sort of you witnessed in your time there that crossed the line beyond those roles and responsibilities? Well, this was technically, we were in-house. So all the women were employees. They were part-time employees for the team. Okay. Um, that you had to have either be a full-time student, a mother, or have a full-time job. So this was supposed to be like a hobby. They wanted women who were successful and could be role models. So this was not meant to be a full-time position. Um, they did sign contracts and NDAs and, you know, all of that. But they were really, I mean, we really were the face of the team in the community. The players aren't going to, you know, the elementary school. Like they would do occasional appearances for like big time, you know, photo op PR media stuff. But we were the ones that were in the trenches, in the community, you know, shaking hands, holding babies, like doing all that stuff. And we loved it. It's amazing. But it's, we were an extension of the team. We were ambassadors in the community. We did military appreciation tours all over the world. Um, I personally did 10. I went to 35 countries. Wow. wow. Um, it was a big passion of mine. I, I um, you know, to this day, I'm so blessed to have that opportunity and, 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 all of my time with the team was incredible. I mean, it was such a learning experience. I have friendships that have lasted the years, but the, you know, the, the, the culture that they had for the work, for the, you know, the full-time employees and what they had to deal with there is not okay. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was harassed. I went, to, there was no HR department when I was there. I went to the person who wore the HR hat went in one instance when I was being harassed by a football player and they told me it's him or you, and it's not going to be him. Wow. And so, you know, that's just the, the culture Holy that it there. We weren't allowed to look at Dan Snyder in the face. And, you know, you can't, when when he's in the office, sit in your oh, cubicle oh. and don't leave. They don't want like, you to was, look down. That's why. They don't want you to look down because he's significantly shorter than you. That's, that's why. They're like, <laughs> yeah. he's a tiny little man. Don't look him in the eye. Then you have to, it's going to hurt your back. That's what that was. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I, I even played golf with one of my former bosses, like later on and he would still refer to him as Mr. Snyder. He didn't even work there anymore. I'm like, it's just so ingrained in your brain. I'm like, he's not here. You don't have to call him that. (laughs) This 55 year old successful man calling him Mr. Snyder still. Oh my gosh. That's just that, yeah. that's just, just a crazy environment just to be a part of. Like, you know, I get if you're like a 90 year old business owner who's been around forever and a super nice guy, I'll call you Mr. Whoever. But you're this this idiot who running this wonderful teen into the ground and treating his employees like crap. And you're still making them pretend like they matter. Like that's, that's horseshit. Excuse the language. Yeah, no, it's fine. It was a very intimidating and threatening environment. Um, And it's unfortunate. Luckily the women were shielded from a lot of that. You know, they, they did have very weird, you know, experiences with auditions where you'd have, Snyder sitting at, you know, in his suite watching them and having, you know, asking them to turn around and do really weird things. Like we've, we've seen all that kind of weird stuff happen. Um, you know, where they've, they've also tried to bring suite owners and sponsors on calendar shoots and go to the, you know, go to the closed sets. And we're like, no, 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 this is not okay. <laughs> Dude, that, what a creepy so, little man. What a creepy yeah. little man. 
Yeah. So we, I mean, I did, I tell a lot of people, I stayed there four years longer than I wanted to, because I just felt like I was protecting them. My husband, my fiance at the time was just like, why are you putting yourself through this? Why? It's, and it was not, I was not making a lot of money there. I mean, it's, that's the other thing is they, they look for young entry-level people bring in like young, beautiful women to work. I was always sort of on someone's arm at an event, trying to help sell something. And that's just, that's just the environment that it was. So what brought you from leaving that environment and then now today standing up in front of the NFL owners saying, this has got to change. What, what, what was that point between the two that you said, I'm now going to stand up for those people that I tried to hide and, and shelter from this for those extra four years. So those videos I mentioned, it's all that. So those women that were in those videos did settle. There was a settlement, a mediation, and that they got paid some amount of money, but it came with an NDA. I don't know how much money. I know it probably wasn't enough. And I know that that doesn't hold anyone accountable, right? Um, And now we see there's emails with cheerleader photos that are also circulating in the NFL. So it's way beyond just the videos. And that's what why I'm glad I'm glad, you know, the, the Gruden emails were terrible too. I don't condone that at all. I don't think he should have been the fall guy. I think he was like totally collateral damage, but I think that it's just the tip of the iceberg and it's going to show, I think the reason they're not releasing the court is there's so much out there that yeah. it's going to hurt so many people and bring so many people down. Well, and they, I'm gonna jump in. So they keep talking about the cancel culture of this, like how, how you're trying to cancel this and that. Um, the reality is, is that cancel culture usually has to do with a moment or two. Uh, that someone made a, a, a mistake. The Gruden emails are seven years long. The Bruce Allen or is even longer, these emails. This is not cancer culture. This is the culture that was set for a very long time. And this is really who these people are. Right. I mean, Demore Smith said, like, the fact that they're comfortable enough to put it in NFL emails. Right. Yeah. Tell you something, right? It's like, it's one thing saying it, you know, they all talk about locker room talk, right? That's yeah. terrible too. But like, they put it in an email, an official email yeah. from a president of an organization to another coach. Ugh. You know, yeah, it is. It is pretty galling when you when you think about it. Um, and uh, yeah, we we were sort of talking earlier that you can kind of become numb to some of this stuff, um, just because it's it's rarely ever good. But when yeah. something like this jumps out at you, and it's like, holy cow! Like, how can you, in good conscience, continue to? sort of get on board here like why are there no consequences it it is this isn't one thing no this is you know this leadership has been making poor choices and you know just there's been so many situations that were numb to it i don't know if you saw damn snyder on twitter he's one of my favorites how great was that Um, his thread is mind-boggling it's almost like you forget we're so numb to it we forgot the extent of just it it it's a shit show yeah. it really is the fact that it's just years and years and years of it and we we've grown so accustomed to it that it's it it, it is not shocking there's well, so much on his feed that he actually had to go back and put more when he yeah. was like i forgot about that like holy shit like that was and all the fans are commenting like, you forgot about this one. oh god you forgot the old lady you forgot about this you know the oh my god and it's just the Snyders have run this team to the ground. They've run their people into the ground. They've run everything, into, and now they're now they were just handed the rest of the team. And with being handed the rest of the team, of course, the minority owners were bought out. And in that process, somebody 
on this call said that the Dan Snyder may have released those emails to get rid of those minority owners. Hmm, who could have said that? <laughs> Mel, Mel, you said that, and it's like that was all over the news. That was everywhere. She, she was like, he released them. He let it go so he get rid of the minority owners, not realizing what the next step yeah. was. I gotta be more careful. <laughs> no, 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 no. more careful with what I say. I know. Look, look, that's my, what I feel. I think I have a right to say that because they did, you know, Snyder's Reed Smith private investigators visited over a dozen cheerleaders in April and May, went to their homes. I'm talking California, Brooklyn, Raleigh, North Carolina, Nashville, Austin, Texas, like all over the country. These women are, you know, breastfeeding and cooking dinner and working and they're coming home to these people on their porches asking about Bruce Allen and how they're you know tied to him and I'm sorry but we're in the middle of an investigation that seems like intimidation to me mm, a little bit. um you know and my name came up in a court of law I had journalists reaching out to me from the Arizona court case with with Allen and Snyder and that I mean so this has been going on since the beginning of the year which means all along, he's been trying to figure out how to pass the buck to Bruce, Yeah. in my opinion. Again, I'm going to say my opinion because, uh, you know. I agree <laughs> with your opinion. Yeah, so, okay. so <laughs> your opinion, though, comes from a, a unique perspective where how you have worked with the team for a long time as a member of the cheerleading squad and then in the marketing and event side, sort of in the in the front office. Would, would, you, would you constitute that as front office? or? As... Yeah, I mean, I was in the premium like I sat up with the CEO or you know the op stadium operations people and this um, club owner club ticket sales people so I guess sort of with with all of this has come out and you obviously penned a, a fantastic piece in the USA today this week um, that got a lot of traction and pickups and attention from other publications uh, and you sort of mentioned that this is the type of thing that there's been, you said, mistreatment and harassment and belittlement and abuse at the hands of the organization. And a lot of this has been really well documented. The Washington Post from earlier this year, you know, Emily Applegate and her experiences. And then there were like 14 other women in the front office who spoke on the condition of anonymity um, as part of, of that Washington Post piece. And it sort of has continued to to steamroll. I'm, I'm curious, sort of, were there... Things that sort of, I guess, you saw or felt or witnessed as in either of those positions, either on the squad or in the front office, that sort of now in retrospect, and you kind of allude to this, where you're like, there is, there was something identifiably wrong. Oh, yes. Oh, like, lots of are you able to put your thumb on, on, on what that is? Or is it sort of just a feeling? I'm just genuinely curious about what it is now, especially in retrospect, where you able oh, to- tons of sexual harassment. Tons of tons of sexual harassment, tons of um, degrading and demeaning behavior, lots of belittlement, all of that. There's also, you know, what's crazy is we had over over 150 people in, uh, participate in the investigation. I know of at least a dozen who didn't participate yeah. because they didn't think the NFL investigating the NFL was legit. Um, and then I know 10 or 15 people who've reached out to me over the past six months who are like, Thank you for keeping going. Like I signed that NDA on my way out. Like, good for you. I'm glad you're, you know, doing it. And that's what most people, when they leave there, you know, that's why you haven't heard a word from Larry Michael, Mitch Gershman, all these people that were the fall guys over the years. You're not going to hear from them. They all signed NDAs and that's, you know, they, that's their severance. That's how they get it. So, you know, it, it, 
it was both in the moment and now in retrospect that sort of uh, obviously it had to have been tough to, I mean, as an understatement, like had to have been tough to be in an environment where that type of thing seemingly was was both widespread and commonplace. Right. Well, it's my second job. I mean, like I said, I started cheering when I was 19. I had a short stint outside of college, like a IT sales company, but for a few months. And then my, that was, this was my first job. Yeah. So what, I didn't know what to expect. It was, it was, that's how most of the people who are in the organization are. They're all very young. So, and in addition to now all of this, you having, you know, written that piece that's gotten this attention, you've, you've, have taken it a step further and with a former colleague Anna Nunez is that correct mm-hmm. you you went and followed up that piece by going to the the NFL owners meeting in Manhattan this week and asked them to sort of release the investigation into the workplace culture and sort of the um the the, the Wilkinson thing that allegedly there's no written documentation of and you were delivering letters to staff to try to transmit to the owners to get them to release the findings. I'm curious sort of what your experience was at the the meetings in New York with the owners and sort of um, how all that went. Yeah, I mean, it was so overwhelming. <laughs> we had no idea that we would be swarmed by media the way we were. To be perfectly honest, it was like going to be a photo op opportunity, like just go do it. We wanted to be in person because we wanted to make sure it got there. I wanted to like just, just take a photo. We are real people. I, I think it was a statement we wanted to make. We wanted to show people we are human. We are here, you know, that we're not just a bunch of people and, you know, the whole anonymity thing they keep talking about. Like they keep saying that's why, but almost everybody that's represented by my attorneys has said, no, we want it made public. You can just take our names out. Even the stories, like if they were identifiable, you know, the main reason we wanted anonymity is from retaliation from him. So figure out a way to protect us from him and we're good. And I think that's what, you know, that's the, that's the statement we wanted to make. We wanted to go be in person and, and just show that we're not, get, we're not going away. In addition to sort of the press FaceTime, were you able to come across any owners? Were you sort of insulated? They didn't let you get close? I mean, what was your experience sort of on the ground, like when you were (laughs) there? No, no, no. We were where all the media were. I mean, the media were just right in the reception. We we didn't know what we were doing. We just walked into reception, went to the reception desk and the whole media, you know, they were there. And I just knew one person in the, in the press to reach out to, to, he was like going to take a picture. And as soon as he came over and started talking to us, like everybody's like just ran (laughs) over and they're like, what's going on? microphones in your face. And I was like, Oh, I wasn't expecting this, but, um, you know, that was Anna's first time talking publicly. And that's the other thing is she is incredible. She's so strong. We bonded over our stories on the way up and back. And there's so many more stories that are out there that need to be shared. Um, and there's just so much fear. So I just hope, I really hope that Congress continues to push I hope that they let more people come forward because I'm sure once they know Congress is looking at it or some, you know, neutral entity, they'll be more comfortable sharing. But I I don't blame them. I was nervous. I was sick to my stomach. I mean, there was eight people, like multiple people from the NFL, multiple people from Wilkinson's firm that were all doing this like Zoom. And I'm telling like deep, scary, like trauma type stuff. And we all relived it. We all went through that. And then this is the, this is what we get. It's just, it's, 
It's unacceptable. That's completely unacceptable. But with what you did, the NFL owners, uh, Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, did come out and he said, yeah, we need to look into this, which was the he's the only owner that's come out and said, sure. I mean, he was also, you know, it's also something that everyone's aware of. And then they said inside the owners meeting, Tanya Snyder actually stood up, not Dan, and started talking to everybody. And the word the words tone deaf were the ones that were used to describe how she was talking, what she was talking about. Tanya is not the answer to the problem. She's just a co-conspirator of the whole thing. Yeah, what, She's aware of what's happened, and she just literally is tone deaf and is going along with the NFL and saying, why keep moving forward? It's it's already taken care of. They we fined the Washington football team $10 million, and Dan Snyder keeps coming out and saying, I wasn't fined $10 million. I'm fine. I don't even have any either. I'm not suspended either. Yeah. I'm not suspended either. Like I'm not suspended. I didn't it was not my ten million dollars. I don't have email, so how can this be my fault? What a pile of shit that answer is. And then listening to Tanya Snyder go up and say, tone deafly, I don't know what the problem is. And then to make matters worse, you have the new front office with you know Jason Wright and all of them, and they are just falling in line with what's going on. And this has been my thing where it's like, yeah, we had a whole bunch of stuff that happened before, but what's going on right now, the new front office is literally falling in line with what the old, old regime has done. And so everyone's accountable. What, what has been your impression of the decision to make kind of Tanya Snyder, the public face of the franchise over the guys, it happened three, it happened three days before the fine and all the whole thing unraveled. They knew it was coming. That was a pawn. That was like a pawn move. That was just, it was all smoke and mirrors trying to position it as progress. And, you know, we're doing this, we're doing that. And I'm like, oh, here we go. I mean, even Ron Rivera this week, they were like, oh, have you been talking to the owner or have you been talking to Tanya? And he said, oh yeah, I talk to the owners weekly. Yeah, right. He's still, he's still there. He's at the games. He's posing yeah. for photos with Sean Taylor's family. I mean, he's not he's he's not stepping back this is not a fine or a punishment and it certainly is an accountability and yeah tanya this isn't the first time she's made tone deaf comments i mean she was on adam schefter's podcast and nearly gutted all of us saying the investigation you know was a joke and it was the media's fault for letting anybody say anything (laughs) and you know talked about how much pain her family had been through this year i'm like you've got to be The, the pain she's been through the pain her and her family have experienced the, this the, past year. By pushing everyone away, backstabbing everyone, getting rid of the minority owners, and now owning a full NFL franchise, and her husband's running around in like four XL sweatshirts taking pictures with people. <laughs> yeah, they've been through so much, and then threw Sean Taylor's family in front of a porta john and said, congratulations, That's the, 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 we, we had three days to put this together. Yeah. Like, this... Awesome. Yeah. Have, have you been surprised by anything? I mean, this team... It's. I would be. It would under, be an understatement to say that they've done everything they can to sweep everything under the rug, and, oh, yeah. and to mostly failing efforts, um, which I would say is is good, but also a testament to their inability to sort of follow through on stuff like that. But has there been anything that has surprised you about how they've responded to any of this? No, I just think that like the audacity. Hmm. Is just it's it's unbelievable. I, I can't remember who said it today. Somebody wrote about it or said it. You know, if he would have just said sorry, you know, I made a mistake. I, that all happened under my watch. It's not going to happen again. I'm going to make sure. You know, he he can't even say sorry. 
Mm. He can't even accept that he has a fine or a suspension. Like if he just said, sorry, that's another thing she said in her Schefter interviews. They've most, they've, they've apologized numerous times. For what? What have they apologized for? Because I'd love to see that. I'd love to see just a, a, a note that just says, hey, sorry, Dan and Tanya. Where? Where does this exist? So yeah. I, I guess in, in, in your efforts, sort of in what you've um, seen and spoken out on and accomplished um, over the last several months, although it sounds like there were things that were conversations you were having internally sort of with your former colleagues and your peers that may have predated anything sort of more public, I guess what has been your, the feedback you've received from former colleagues, former cheerleaders? Um, have you received positive feedback? Have you received oh, pushback? Have, so pretty positive. No pushback. No pushback. The only pushback I've gotten is when I've tried to get my stories corroborated. I've had a few, there's, I have stories, but you know, media journalists, they're, they're doing their jobs right and they have to have corroboration and there are people that are scared that don't want to do that. And so, you know, that's the only thing that I've had to deal with, which is disappointing and frustrating, obviously. Um, But for the most part, I mean, I'm getting so many emails from people I worked with so long ago who are all with me and they, they feel the same way. They wish they would have been able to speak up. They wish they could speak up now, but they signed the NDAs and, you know, I'm getting all of that support and the media, frankly, which is terrifying for me. I don't like speaking publicly. It's not something I enjoy. Um, they've been compassionate and supportive. I felt so, I felt so good in New York talking to those people and, 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 hearing the questions they're asking, they're not trying to hurt me. They're not trying to expose anything. You know, they're they're They just want the truth the same that I do. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've felt very supported. The, the group of men and women that are also represented by my attorneys who are fantastic. We are, you know, we're like, we're like war buddies, you know, and we are so close now and it's almost therapeutic to be able to talk about it with them and share texts and stories and, go through this with them. Um, so, you know, I feel blessed that we're able to do this. I really hope that we can make a difference. Um, like you guys and all your listeners, I was a fan. I want to go to the games on Sunday, just as much as you do. I want to be able to wear burgundy and gold and like have a team. I didn't even play fantasy football this year or last year for the first time in 18 years. Like, you know, it sucks. It was a big part of my life and now it's not. And I want it to be, but I can't possibly support that franchise anymore. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just been incredible. The sort of the support and the attention that this is getting, and you have very clearly been working your tail off to, to speak your truth and speak your voice. And uh, we really appreciate you taking some time to chat with us, I guess, to to round things out, what would you say is your ultimate goal in continuing to speak out on sort of these topics and your experiences? And what would you hope that our listeners can take away from your message and our conversation? Transparency. That's all I've ever wanted. I know that if the truth comes out, change will come. It will have to. When you read about and hear the stories that I've heard and I know, 
it can't possibly stay. The leadership has to go. Um, so for me, number one, truth, transparency, that's all I want. I do think moving forward, one of my passions will be NDA legislation. I think just in general, corporate America period, there needs to be narrowing of NDAs. IP, trade secrets, I think it's totally fine to have NDAs in place for that type of thing, but there's no reason. It's just encouraging bad behavior to have NDAs, broad NDAs. That's my next step. Well, it seems like uh, if, if, if you're putting your, your brain on it, uh, they better look out because uh, you've been steadfast and dogged in your pursuits. Um, we are incredibly grateful for everything that you've done. We're very, we're so thankful that you've, you've joined us this evening. Um, it's, it's been really great getting to hear about all of the, the hard work that you've put in and, and what you're looking to accomplish. And, um, we, we are rooting for you. Awesome. And I'm going to say it again, you are the nicest person in the entire world and you do so many great things for people, but I never want to piss you off. You are... (laughs) absolutely like tenacious and yeah i'm just gonna be on your good side and forever so you're wonderful thank you so much for coming and do this and and getting your words out there even more and from a a layman or a fan who can hear them and understand them a little bit better not just you know the 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 press the, the sports world hasn't been covering this that much a lot of the other world has but the sports world needs to hold on to this understand that things need to change and and you have friends in us and thank you again so much for coming on. Thanks, fellas. Really appreciate it. Nice talking with you. Absolutely. Wow, that was um, that was incredible. It, it, it's super wonderful that Melanie was able to take some time and come talk to us. The what she's doing and what she's been through is absolutely heroic. And I know some people say, "What do they say?" That people, some people, uh, heroes, some heroes don't wear capes. And that's what she's doing. Yeah. She has a bunch of people that she's standing up for. As I said from the beginning, she's a great human being. And being able to talk to her and hear, hear what she's doing, oh, my God, I just – it's its amazing. Yeah, she has officially unseated your brother as the best guest we've had on this podcast. I mean, it, it was incredible having the opportunity to meet her. You've obviously known her for a very long time, but to be able to hear – her stories and and see sort of the poise and the determination. No one is making her do this. Like she doesn't, she didn't have to do it, but she had. She didn't have to do it, but she like has to do it. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, she's like she, it's in her heart. As as I said, she's tenacious, and in her heart, she she's gonna do what's right. And you yeah, look at somebody very, like that, cool. and you, all you can do is support them. And, and as and again, as a fan of the Washington football team, and I have been my entire life. It was weird in a way watching somebody you know kind of go through this, and then you realize, you know, I can I put a face to this, I can put a personality to this, and I know there's so much more she's going through and and doing than she's even told us. But being able to put a a face to it, it, it breaks your heart. It truly breaks your yeah. heart. I mean, it's what she said. She went to New York because she wanted to, you know, get put a face to what was happening there yeah i'm i am a person there is someone that you can connect to this happened to me and so you know it is and you could hear it she was she was a little bit i I don't want to say rattled definitely not but there was there was there was some fear in terms that she that she either felt her experience or sort of her colleagues from her colleagues um her sisters 
have yeah. felt and experienced. And it, that is scary. And so to ha- to be able to speak out in a way like she is, it it is courageous. It is heroic. It is it is awesome. I, really I wouldn't cool. necessarily say fear, more of an intimidation that has been put sure. against her. Yeah. And, and I think with her, what what makes me you know so proud to know her is that she's turned around and said, I'm not going to be intimidated. I'm going to say and do what's right. And I'm going to, this is my, my plot and my ploy in life is to, to help my, my sisters out. And that, that you, God bless her. Like that's, you can't, I can't argue that. All I can do is to be supportive of that. It's, it's, she's incredible. Yeah. And uh, so we will include, um, she wanted us to share. There is a a change.org link that she's a petition that she's putting together um, to try to sort of influence change, get some strength in numbers. We'll include that in the show notes. Um, we'll include it in the, the article that accompanies this. Um, Gumby, I, I'm, I appreciate you getting us uh, a really fantastic guest, a very important guest. Uh, and hopefully this is, this is one of our best ones yet. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about, um, about the cult of cult. I mean, I'm, we're riding her coattails. She's amazing. She's yeah, best guest. Sure, definitely. We're yeah. still horrible. We do, but she's amazing. Yeah. We're going to keep trying, though, here. <laughs> um, we'll be back in a week or so on The Cult of Cult, the podcast produced and edited by me, Brian Stabby, and my co-host and director of social media. That's going to be also our, our uh, official booking agent. That's going to be as well. Uh, you can follow The Cult of Cult on Twitter at The Cult of Cult. That's all one word. We're available on Untapped. I'm at Beastabby. Beastabby, and you're at D. Cumberland Jr. I almost portmanteaued us there. I saw that. Um, you, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts, really, uh, just by searching Hogshaven, a Washington football team podcast. And we ask that if you like what you have heard, and we hope you have this evening, that you do three simple things and then one extra simple thing that you subscribe that you rate us five stars and you encourage one friend to check us out it does make a huge impact in our ability to reach new listeners we know that your listening time is valuable and you appreciate we appreciate you spending that time with us the one extra ask this evening on the cult of cold is that you go and check out melanie coburn and her change.org petition that you uh, lobby your congress people they are getting involved um, let's let's make this a real issue. Let's see this through. Not just for the fans, but for what is right. And we will always try to pursue what is right here on The Cult of Cult. <laughs>